From Bregman MD, where we're all about psych solutions, I'm your host, Linda Corley, and this is The Breakdown with Dr. B. For the first time since World War II, U.S. life expectancy has declined. And, you know, you would think it's because of COVID, but that's not really the whole picture. Doctor, it's because people are dying from diseases of despair. Now, we spoke about that, uh, what, a couple months ago. What are diseases of despair? If you drink to excess, now, post-pandemic, there's an issue, okay? Now, what I found in my practice is, because I see a lot of anxious people, and people are telling me, because they've been isolated, this has really gotten out of control. And it's like a dirty little secret. They don't tell anybody, say, Doc, I know I could tell you, you know, because you, know, you don't judge me, okay? And it's gotten to be an issue. And Linda, I think this is an issue because people have been isolated. And if they're anxious and they have some alcohol, this is really getting out of control now. So this is diseases of despair. Now, that's an umbrella term for substance abuse, right? And it's also suicide. So diseases of despair caused by substance abuse and or suicide, that is something that is way, way up. And as you just mentioned, the pandemic kind of throws that into high gear. You know, I, doctor, I ran across the statistic lately, uh, wine and spirit sales in the U S in the past 12 months have gone up 200%. That's just crazy. Don't you think? Alcoholism is a medical condition. It's the impaired ability to stop drinking despite, you know, it's hurting you socially, you don't go out, you don't do this, you don't do that. It's hurting you occupationally. I mean, you don't do your job well, you kind of take a drink or whatever you can do in here, okay? And this health stuff. You went to the doctor, he says, your liver enzymes are elevated, yeah? And nobody does anything about it. If anybody here who's listening has any of those, maybe you should really think about getting some help for this. Well, we're going to talk about possible answers, treatments, and, and medication. But I want to talk just a little bit about what you've just brought up, denial. So if a person has the problem, they can't get help unless they first say to themselves and be real, I've got a problem. That's number one. Number two, I need to get help. Why are people always in such denial about alcoholism? What I hear from my patients that are very sincere is that, hey, this is the only thing that's calming them down. I mean, like, hey, Doc, I'm nervous out of my mind. I, I, I mean, I don't know what to do. You know, so I've been taking to something I used to do. So it's an old pattern. It's, it's more prevalent in men, but women have it too, okay? It's hard to admit that you have this kind of problem. So... People, it's kind of like in secret. And pe there are things that could be done, Linda. Yeah, we're about to talk about that. And there is something that you actually work with in your practice. 
um, that not a lot of people know about. It's a medication. Tell me about this medication. How does it work? And just think about it. I have like a lot of patients I put on this medicine. And what they say is, hey, doc, I just don't want to drink anymore. I mean, it deals with desire. A lot of the programs are good, but they're all helping people to deal with how to, oh, don't do this, don't do that, and in ways to manage it, okay? But what would happen if you had a drug that people don't want to drink? It sounds like a magic pill. So what is the name of this magic pill? It's a medicine that's been around for a long time. The other substance abuse programs really don't give it out a lot. What happens is I develop a treatment program with these people surrounding the medicine that I'm going to talk to you about. Okay. So in other words, I don't want you just taking the medicine. I want you to have a little treatment program. I get you coaching. I get you therapy if you need it. I uh, make sure you, your meds are monitored. Okay. Get some family involvement. I get AA involved. Before I give the people these medicines, they have to consent to really doing things because it's all the things that will make the difference and have tremendous success rate if people want to agree to do this. So the name of the medicine is called naltrexone. Okay, been around for a while. I mean, it is a miracle. And I have people on it. And a lot of the people also may have some comorbid psychiatric disorders that I treat along with it. Okay. And they get to AA and they get like a coach or a therapist and some family involvement and people do well. And that means people really have to say they're going to do this. Okay, so let's take people through this. So we know the name of the medication now. We know that, you know, you're very responsible. You have to have certain things set up, set in place, like a liver test, get involved in a 12-step process. But how? let's just start at the very beginning. How do you know you might be eligible for this medication? In other words, when should you call your doctor? When do you know you have a problem? And perhaps I should look into this medication. You know, Linda, great question. And I go back to the same thing about what's the definition of alcoholism, okay? Impaired ability to stop something like alcohol, although, hey, it's ruined your social life. You don't go out. It's definitely taking a big toll on your career and the doctor told you you're going to be like need a liver transplant or something to keep this up and you still do it i mean there's real help so i think people have to reach out okay so i get this pill do i take it every day you said something about killing your desire how does this work so after I have people consent to my treatment plan. Okay, I'm the psychiatrist. It's a multidiscipline treatment plan. And they feel good about it. They could do it. Then what I say to them is this. You're not going to have any desire to drink. And as opposed to maybe other programs with this, I have zero tolerance. You do not drink. I don't put up with that at all. You have no, nothing to drink. And what happens is people, if, after a short amount of time, after three weeks, certainly all habits are, are broken, even this, 
you don't do it. Now, what has happened is, hey, doc, you know, I go to my friends at the bars, you know, social. Okay, you know what I say? Hey, look, you get a ginger ale, and you know, you say, I don't want to be sick. You guys drink. I'm having a good time with you. Okay, people have to like even keep some of their habits, but no alcohol involved. Okay, so this pill, though, if you take it, it kills your desire to want to drink, right? Correct. You have now think about this. Most of the programs have to do with all kinds of social ways and other ways to manage drinking, but not desire. So in other words, mm-hmm. you couple the no desire. If you don't have desire, look, I don't. As far as I'm concerned, you have much less of a problem. Right. So you still can go to a party. You can still go out to a bar with friends, and you know you would just not want to drink. It doesn't mean you don't want to be social. It doesn't kill your desire. Am I right to be? No, social. it kills your desire about drinking. But look, right. I encourage everybody to continue their own routine. Take a glass in your hand. You got a little ginger ale, you got Coke or something, you know, and that's it. Because it's that activity, too, that's social with everybody. And you tell everybody, hey, look, and, and you know, a lot of I'm not doing this. A lot of all your friends will respect it. Uh, uh, OK, because they're with you. They didn't lose you. Uh, uh, right. So it's very important to. Continue what you're doing socially while you're keeping your abstinence. Got it. Well, you know, my big question here is I was I was researching this medication and I found a really good article that said there's many doctors that know about this medication, but they don't prescribe it. Maybe they don't know enough about it. In other words, last month, for instance, there was a study by researchers in St. Louis that found that 80% of people who met the criteria for alcohol use disorder and had visited a doctor, a hospital, a clinic with their alcohol abuse problem, only 10% were encouraged to cut back and only 6% of that 10% were given any treatment. Why aren't just regular doctors stepping forward with this problem to help? Well, okay. It's certainly they don't have the background, and maybe they and and they don't have the training. Okay, they're not trained in this. They don't know much about it, and they don't have a lot of empathy for these people. They're taking care of sick people, and these people, and I see it throughout the medical profession. Hey, look, you're making yourself sick. Stop doing it. You know they would say. So mm-hmm. therefore, the doctors need to say, "Hey, look, you got a problem." I'll refer you to a specialist. And I think, and that would be in great service to the patient. You know, that, and I'll do this, I'm going to refer you to so-and-so. And I think there needs to be education amongst, you know, the physicians to refer appropriately. Yeah, I do think there should be a push because you know what you have at play here? You've got the patient's denial. And then on top of that, you have a doctor's, inability for many reasons to prescribe this medication. It's a good medication. They just don't either a know about it or they don't have the background or they don't have the gumption to help their patient. So you have a lot of play here. That's not helping the patient curb or cut out their alcohol abuse. So I guess, you know, it all starts with awareness, right? 
Absolutely. And, you know, that's why I love our podcast, because whoever really listened to this, even if it's somebody who's not directly involved, it's a wife or family member or a friend who knows somebody. And we raise their awareness about this and what to do and how to talk to those people. You know, I, I think this people should spread this around the things we're talking about today, Linda. I agree. Well, you know, good stuff, doctor. I always learn from you. I didn't even know about this medication. And it's been around, I guess, for a while. Hey, yeah. you, know, you know what they do? They advertise meds on TV and stuff. What happens if you told your doctor, you know, so, hey, what, did you ever hear of naltrexone? And then, and people who are in trouble, find out how you could get it. I agree. I guess it just all starts with the patient making that phone call or yep. getting into that doctor's office. It's, it's- you know, Linda, what you're saying is this, and this is what I'm a firm believer. And I tell all my patients, you're in charge of your own medical care. That means decide what's good for you and get it done. Yep. Be your own advocate. Always, exactly. always exactly. a good way to go. All yes. right. Well, we're out of time and I just want to wish you a good week. And thanks for talking to me. And you too, Linda. Have a great one. Take care, everybody. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. From Bregman, MD, you've been listening to the latest episode of The Breakdown with Dr. B. If you'd like more information or to speak to one of our top psychiatrists, just head to our website at BregmanMD.com to book a telepsychiatry visit from the comfort of your home. Hope you've enjoyed our latest podcast. Catch you next time.